So we were able to to very quickly adapt our tools. Our, our all of our students has a, 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 an app running on their phone, Campus Connect, which traditionally will have helped them to talk to teachers, communicate, see the grade, but also do their schedule. And now we complement and tell them, oh, you need to walk to this classroom. Now we manage to tell them, oh, no, you need to, this is your teacher and this is the Zoom link with all the security that uh, other people didn't have, you know, the password, the, the, the password, the lobby and all this kind of thing. On today's show, I'm joined from Switzerland by Alessandro Lisi, the VP of Technology for Education First, and he's telling me how they're using automation to make sure their students get the best possible experience. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some news and opinion. Happy belated Valentine's Day to everyone. It's Tuesday. We're recording on Monday. So Valentine's was only yesterday. Did you have a nice weekend, Hayley? Yes, it was very nice. Got one of those um, like at-home restaurant boxes. And uh, nice. yeah, it was really nice. Which restaurant? Which which cuisine? Right, I could be saying this completely wrong, but it's Chateau Mate. <laughs> it's like a Japanese. Sounds fr- oh, right. I was going to say sounds French the way you said it, but okay, Chateau, fine. Chateau I don't know. Some of our listeners might know. It's in Soho anyway, and they do like a little box for two. It was nice. So is it sushi? Uh, there was some sushi in there, yes, there was. Right. Um, and it was like just like different proteins. So we had like um, miso black cod, um, chicken dish. There was also like a short beef rib, which had been cooked for like 12 hours. If you're a vegetarian, you won't like it. I've seen that lots of the high-end restaurants have started doing this kind of at-home stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I did Marcus Waring's one as well a couple of weeks ago for my partner's birthday. So they are nice. very good. I'm, I was, I've been impressed two times. I haven't. I, so we've got a little a local Italian that's very, very good called Del Posto just down the road, and we we will quite regularly get that. But it's not like a Marcus Waring at home type thing. It's just a local Italian, but it's quite nice to support it because obviously yeah. you want it to be there when everything opens back up again. Exactly, exactly. It's supporting businesses. This is what we're doing. And then exactly. also eating delicious food. So. And to be perfectly frank, what else have you got to spend your money on right now? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> exactly. Like, one thirty-five, forty quid for our Italian kind of extravagance a week when you're literally going nowhere, doing nothing. No travel. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Uh, one thing that is particularly tricky at the minute because of the, the travel is uh, going abroad and learning a foreign language. Yes, it Which is. is a real shame because going to other <laughs> cultures and maybe going to Japan and having a black cod for real in Japan would be a lovely thing to do. But difficult for students to do right now, as we all know. However, today's interview is addressing that and other things um, indirectly. So we'll hand over to the interview with EF's Alessandro Lisi. We'll be back with some commentary and then a little bit of technology news later on in the show. On today's show, I'm joined by Alessandro Lisi from Education First. Joining me from Switzerland, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Enjoying your start to 2021? You've escaped the UK. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I managed to fly to UK just the day before they locked down, spent two weeks with the family, and then flew out. And unfortunately, I found myself locked down again. In Switzerland, as they uh, give me 10 days quarantine, so I'm bored at home, but working. Yes, well, but at least you have 
beautiful alpine scenery around you, I suppose, to escape to once you're out of quarantine? I do see uh, some snow outside, but I see the city, so but it's a beautiful view. I have a good view, so it's great. <laughs> well, look, the reason that we've got you on the show today, uh, we wanted to talk to you about education first. Your, your language campuses, they're using um, genetics and natural selection to improve school efficiency. Um, so the creative use of genetic algorithms for automatic class scheduling. Do, do you just want to quickly explain what you mean by that? Sure. Uh, so nothing so scientific, but uh, uh, so one of the problem we have in our school is that uh, different other schools, we have an intake every Monday morning, right? Every Monday of every week, so if it's two weeks, you'll have a new student coming in. Uh, we have schools all over the world. We teach all different languages, but the way is that uh, you, you teach the language of the place you're traveling to. So if you're going to US, you'll learn English. If you go to Spanish, Spanish. And the level of the students that come in is, uh, of course, different. They come from different regions in the world. They have different level, skill, age, and so forth. And uh, if you think about to make a schedule every Monday morning, they come in. You need to add them to the existing class, create new class. And by Friday, when they may leave, and again, a student can come for generally two weeks, but they can also come for six months, right? Then when they leave, the again, a new classes form for the, the coming week. This was always traditionally done manually and uh, very intelligent, very uh, laborious task that people were doing and based on, uh, of, uh, always based on a placement test that they do uh, uh, weeks before they arrive. But also on the, on the Monday when they arrive, they get a little uh, uh, oral test because uh, different students have different skills they can be a very good uh, on the computer when they do the test written. They may not be as good in pronunciation and understanding. So, so what's happening is um, they come on Monday. We have an idea of what class we want them to be. Let's say B1, B2, C1. Those are the way you, you, you grade them. And, but then in reality, maybe is uh, not that eloquent, not able to speak. So we'll have to put them down to an A2 level. So what's happening is that on your Monday morning, around Monday noon, we're really able to build a schedule for the coming uh, week. And because you have, uh, at peak, you have, uh, I don't know, 1,500 students. Each class has maximum 17 students, is uh, our rules. And in some uh, region, 15 students. You can imagine how much work it is to make sure that all these uh, students fit properly. And on top of that, you have uh, nationality. Uh, I mean, if you're teaching English, you don't want to have all uh, one nationality in the class. Otherwise, they will speak, uh, I don't know, Italian, Spanish, or French with each other. So it doesn't help. Uh, we also noticed that uh, gender uh, uh, mix is a very uh, a good thing. I mean, the result is much better if you have a class that has a good 50-50. So bottom line is, how could we automate something like this? We couldn't find anything out there that did that. Uh, and we looked. And so we thought, okay, let's uh, let's uh, find uh, an algorithm that can help us to to do this in uh, in matter of hours instead of days, as it used to be manually. I mean, generally it was uh, pre-done in, during the week, uh, the week before, and then on Monday they they fix it together, right? 
So, so when you say that someone comes into a class and then maybe you go, oh, maybe their maybe their proficiency isn't quite what we thought it was, and then they get reassigned to a different class. That I assume is an element of human interaction. So there's an element of the algorithm will go, we think that this person should be in this class, and then the teacher goes, mm, this isn't quite right, and th th then there's an element of, of human intervention. No, there is actually something before. So on the, when they have an intake on their first Monday, again they, they can mm -hmm. come for week, on the first Monday, they are not placed in the class yet. They have the the a few hours of uh, training of different things about this is London. They teach them about London, where, how to use the metro, so forth, so forth. And then they have this one-on-one -on -one meeting where they they understand their level, and only at that point uh, we place them in the class. So their first Monday they have a classes that is not going to be uh, language, and then from Tuesday they're going to be on proper class. So we avoid mm. we want to avoid uh, to place them in the wrong class. And uh, with a better algorithm, which really factor in all their this information, we we avoid uh, this the teacher telling you know you're not in the right class you need to move. So what the algorithm does uh, is uh, it's meant to 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 take all this information and 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 and, uh, and create a perfect schedule. While in the past, uh, before we had the algorithm, you did it with a human. You you couldn't do on Monday because frankly you didn't have enough hour in a day to to set the schedule. So we base our allocation on their placement score that was done only on paper, mm -hmm. and then we try to do this oral test to ascertain if we done a good job. And most of the time was done a good job. We knew we could reschedule a few one, but if there was a large number of students that need to be rescheduled, it was just not possible. Mm. I mean, so look, yeah, I appreciate that we've dived into this kind of halfway through, but just so if anyone's listening and they're they're not sure, Education First is a it is it specifically an English language teaching school or is it just a language teaching school? Language teaching. So we do we have French, we have a, a Spanish, German, Italian, but it is the language. So you travel to the country where they speak the language. So you immerse yeah. in the culture, and therefore so. In England, we'll teach English. That'll raise an interesting question to, to come to in a minute, because obviously traveling to a culture and, immer and immersing yourself in a culture isn't quite so easy at, at the moment. Sure. Um, park that for one second, because the article that you wrote talks about genetic algorithms and sure. biological evolution. You were, you were talking a minute ago about the gender mix and the gender mix in the classroom being better and therefore... I suppose, creating a better learning environment. Are you using this algorithm, therefore, successively to improve the teaching experience, or is it very much being used at just that placing of the student in the right class initially? Uh, I mean, uh, they go hand in hand. So, yes, it is just the placement of the, the student in the right class, uh, but that, because we know by experience, that improves their teaching experience. That's why the gender mix, the nationality mix, are an important factor. And that's why the algorithm is really helping a lot uh, uh, to do this. Our people are those uh, are uh, director of study. They were trained to follow these, let's call them business rules. Uh, but of course, uh, lack of time uh, is still human doing it. So the algorithm today, I mean, who has read the article will maybe, uh, who knows, these, these genetic algorithms is nothing new, eh? something you can you learn in the university. Uh, it, it actually, there is a, a, a you, you look at how the chromosome fits your uh, your uh, uh, your business rules, right? And 
we have added these business rules. We want to make sure that the, the gender is as close as 50%. The nationality mix is, uh, I don't remember what was it, 30%, 40%. There are numbers, and we've been tweaking also, right? And the algorithm just, uh, the beauty of this is that is a, which goes a little bit against how computer people think, right? I, I'm a number person. So for me, is oh, you have the rules. Should it be simple to just create the, the class, pre-populate the class following the, the, the business rules? The beauty of genetic algorithm, it doesn't. You randomly put all your students in those classes. You know the number of classes you need because you have uh, these are the rules that is 17 per, uh, per class, but you literally start with uh, just randomly put anybody in. And, uh, and that goes a little bit against uh, the, the, the common sense, right? But then you do this 100 times, uh, and then you just you just compare, hey, this chromosome, to this, let's say you have 170 students, right? Uh, these 10 classes, how do they score if I measure the scoring based on level? So that's the most important thing. Uh, so the, uh, the the proficiency, right, in the in the language, then the then you have a few other things, right? The the the, uh, the size of the class, which is also we already pre fill it up with seventeen, but in some cases you have classes that will have less people, right? If you don't have under seventy, you have and so forth, and then all the different things. You just score them, and then you say, okay, or oh, this one hundred cl- chromosome I created, which one are the top ten? You just take them and then you do it again, random, random. You run in like this, and then the cool thing is then you you add this uh, imperfection on purpose. That is what evolution has done with the uh, like we believe in evolution, right? Which yeah, I yeah. what it does in this uh, in this channel uh, that <laughs> you build this uh, imperfection and uh, and you see what happens. So you take literally perfect parents, we call it, and you just mix randomly students around and then you try again so one thing i just wanted to ask very quickly because you you you've got an algorithm that would on 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 the surface be able to to tell you what the perfect learning environment should be over time right but traditionally we've always said that girls do better in single sex environments boys do better in mixed sex environments if you look at kind of the the way that people talk about education, certainly mm-hmm. the way that I've always heard education talk. So do you have a problem then that the data might be biased in terms of, oh, hang on a minute, we can make a perfect learning environment for for, for, for men or we can make a perfect learning environment for females, but maybe mm-hmm. we can't. Can we do the same for, for both and have them in the same environment? So first of all, I'm not quite sure I believe in that uh, <laughs> statement you did. That... that <clears throat> Maybe it goes well for certain topics in language where you are uh, uh, you want them to talk to each other because ultimately it's not just listening from the teacher, but it's really collaborate, right? That's the most important thing. I think a gender mix is actually very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, they they will uh, maybe at certain point a girl is is a bored to talk to other girls. She wants to talk to, to boys and that talking helps them to learn the language, use the language and so forth and so forth. So, so, so you I talk to probably you, the best. <laughs> best <laughs> you talk, you talked earlier about the fact that, you know, the, 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 the principle is that you travel to that country, you immerse yourself in that culture. Yeah. Obviously that's difficult at the moment. So how, how as a business are you coping with that? 
I mean, we had, uh, yeah, so after airlines, I think, <laughs> maybe hotel, we are definitely affected uh, tremendously. So, uh, yeah, overall, as a group, we do have other models, whereas uh, some models are entirely online, but the large part of the company is about traveling and emerging culture. So we are affected a lot. So we had to move very quickly, very swiftly, to online uh, classes. But still anchored to the to the to the basics. So we have our British teachers teaching uh, English. We have a Spanish teacher, and the way we and and frankly, it's not a model we are selling. So we complement our learning experience. Today, I mean, if you take UK, we have a lot of students still flying to the UK, right? Maybe this week's a little less. But we last week I went to the Oxford School and found a hundred student in in our. Uh, residence and school and what we were doing we were uh, uh, the quarantine time the day to spend in the in the dorm or in, in the family or whatever it is they were getting a, a, a class uh, what we call it the e-campuses so so we our school are called campuses we created e-campuses we actually created three large e-campuses one for each time zone because of course the difference was also that uh, uh, I'm a, I'm a, let's say, a Chinese student going to UK, right? Traditionally, would have been in the UK. But what happens if, oh, my flight is delayed or I can't travel yet? Uh, I want to be in the e-campus. Unfortunately, we can't put them on the, uh, we preferably don't want to put them in the in the European e-campus because the time zone just doesn't fit their uh, location. So we created an Asian e-campus. And same goes with America and so forth. Um, we use the same curriculum, so the same material, um, the same teachers. So we had them uh, ramping up and uh, jump on Zoom very quickly. And that was uh, actually very successful. We managed to, also because we've been using uh, uh, the platform for uh, more than five years for different things. So we were able to to very quickly adapt our tools, uh, our, our all of our students has a, 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 an app running on their phone, Campus Connect, which traditionally will have helped them to talk to teachers, communicate, see the grade, but also do their schedule. And now we complement and tell them, oh, you need to walk to this classroom. Now we manage to tell them, oh, no, you need to, this is your teacher and this is the Zoom link with all the security that uh, other people didn't have, you know, the passport, the, the, the password, the lobby, and all this kind of thing. So in a very secure way, we were able to go online. Um, but yeah, our business, of course, affected tremendously. Uh, yeah. and, and we hope this is a transition period. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think it's a fascinating use of data, certainly around uh, around the, the genetic algorithm. I know you said that this is not a new concept, but I suppose, you know, the best part of innovation is uh, not always just inventing something, but taking taking existing models and in, improving and, and applying them to a situation. That's certainly what we've got to do in the pandemic. Um, and the fact that it's saving time for your school staff uh, and to provide better services to your students is is a, is a real win. So it's fascinating to hear. Thank you for taking some time to talk to us. And uh, look, I hope you don't don't go too stir crazy in the rest of the quarantine time that you've got left and you can get outside and enjoy being being back in Switzerland. Thank you so much. Uh, I Again, I cannot go outside for the next seven days, but uh, I definitely will go outside after. <laughs> Thanks, Alessandro. What's great about this is it's a wonderful example of how automation 
can make really laborious tasks easier. Um, and I think when we, when we talk about machine learning and we talk about artificial intelligence, people immediately jump to robots and science fiction and apocalyptic type, type scenarios where, where machines are taking away jobs. And here is a really simple situation where you shove a load of data into an algorithm and it helps you put people in classes, something that used to take them days, if not weeks at EF, now takes hours. And that, for me, is a wonderful example of how automation can actually help businesses and free up time. Definitely. And I don't think this is an example either of one where it's taking jobs away. No. It's not, is it? Um, so I don't really think people could say that in this circumstance. Um, it's actually just taken away all of that crap that no one wants to do. <laughs> we all have aspects of our job where you're like, oh, God, yeah. I've got it right. Okay, I've got to do this. Yeah, I know. I need to, <laughs> it's the thing that you put off, that you know, mm -hmm. it's going to take time, you know, it's boring, but just has to happen. Mm -hmm. And it stops you doing the fun stuff. Yeah. And if someone could take it off your plate, you'd still have a job because you'd have more time to put into, more energy to put into the stuff that's creating value. And I think that's where when stuff like machine learning gets um, sensationalized in the press um, and, and, and it gets talked to to people who don't necessarily understand what it really means to businesses, that gets lost. And it's it's great that we have a really lovely clear example here of exactly how it can improve and take away those laborious mindless tasks yeah definitely and it's not really taking the human out of it either because you have to no well like, like they're saying sorry to jump in but whilst they're saying you know they still have that one-to-one -to, -one to understand the level like yeah <laughs> when do you remember a, a little while ago we had the dutch company brain corp on the show and they were doing about automation of cleaning like robots Briefly. i don't know whether you or a quiche it wasn't was my one but i do sort of remember right. it and again that was a good uh, that was a good example of this because at the beginning of the day the cleaning staff needed to set up the parameters and the programs for the automated mm. robot and now i know this is an algorithm that you can't see in touch and that was a cleaning robot it's a similar thing the human does the one-on-one -on -one with the student to make sure that the information going into the algorithm is right and you avoid putting the student in the wrong class but there's still that aspect that you need you can't completely remove the human from the process no exactly because without doing like maybe like an online test to check their ability you that's the only other way i could think of that they could make it without human interaction but even then you're just yeah. losing all the personal touch of, of of learning with a teacher and everything like that so I don't think that I don't think schools are there. I don't. I think they'll always have that human interaction. To be honest with you. Oh yeah, Christ! Where even where you've got automated. I mean, this is different. But even where you've got automated mm. teaching environments, you want there to be some level of human interaction. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and whilst this is this is slightly different, I, I can think back to Squirrel AI, who were a Chinese firm we had on the show like a year and a half ago, and exactly to that point, automation could help aspects of the teacher's role, but it couldn't totally replace the teacher um yeah let me just going on that as well because remember we had that episode i can't remember who it was with and it was that it was a like a uh, senior tech gentleman and he basically was saying that ai actually isn't that intelligent mm. yeah no <laughs> no like, at the minute it's not that? yeah no. so like for them to take over the role of a human completely especially in something like that 
it just wouldn't work. It's not there well, yet. We're a long, long way off that. But, yeah, definitely. As we said, it can help. It can help with the really boring stuff. Um, I do I also think that. it. Yeah, I think it's great that, that you point out that they're adapting their existing technology. You know, this isn't like they're building something from the ground up. It's it's quick. They were able to adapt and modify ex- existing tools. Um, they had an app that sat on the phone that was about you know helping students walk to class. Obviously, now they don't walk to classes, but they get secure links to Zoom classes that they need to attend and i think that's really important because you know i know we're talking about students here and slightly older students um than than the iwf show that we were were talking about child child abuse in but security and making sure that your system is safe where perhaps vulnerable people are involved is really important i think going back to that that interview that we did before as well it was it was actually a slightly older it, although there were really young people who were victims to that that sort of thing it was yeah also when you're getting a little bit older you've got a bit more understanding of the internet but there's probably opens up way more so many more doors for that sort of thing to happen as well so it's avoiding well let's face it it doesn't it, it doesn't matter secure. if yeah obviously an 11 year old in their bedroom when you've got kind of someone who's who's doing homeschooling at the minute is 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 a target for for would-be child abusers but nonetheless 16 17 and 18 year olds can be really really vulnerable too yeah i I do definitely think so and when i think about when i was younger i think that those are probably the age it's probably the age that i was probably a bit more vulnerable because you've got so much access Mm. then as well so yeah definitely I, i completely agree and it's just good to see because now everything is more online lessons and things like that is yeah it's, it's good to see that they're making it more secure um, makes parents as well a little bit of ease there as well doesn't it well especially if you're doing language teaching as well which is not going to be necessarily accessible to the parents yeah because they might not understand yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah um look i think i think we'll go to our advert break uh, alessandro thank you for being our guest nice to hear that you're safely in switzerland i hope you are enjoying that alpine scenery uh we'll be back with some commentary in a moment on spotify who've unveiled a new uh, remote working policy a couple of years ago michael and jacob two friends from london were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Welcome back to the show. A bit of news. I shared this on LinkedIn today. It's got a fair amount of traction. It's in Business Insider. Spotify is letting employees work from anywhere while still paying San Francisco and New York salaries. Immediate reaction, Hayley. I would love that. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Immediate reaction. I think I'd love to see this happen everywhere. So it's interesting because there is problems though with it. Right. Should we park park the problems for a second? Park the problems for a second. Spotify will continue to pay at San Francisco, New York salary rates based on the type of job. This is in stark contrast to Facebook and Twitter, who said they will both 
cut employees' salaries for those who choose to relocate away from offices in expensive San Francisco Bay areas. Um, but, 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 but this is this is where it gets really interesting. Spotify's Travis Robinson, head of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, said the move will promote work-life balance, employee happiness, and inclusion. For one, it's going to help the company attract talent regardless of geographic location. True, right? Most of our offices are in large cities like New York, London, and Stockholm, but we know that moving to or staying in these cities isn't always realistic or attractive. Uh, he offered the example of an employee who needs to move back home to be a caregiver for an ailing parent. This is the opportunity to scrap the idea that big cities are the only meaningful places to work or meaningful work can happen because we know firsthand this isn't true. We want employees to come as they are, wherever they are and whatever their circumstances are. The new program will also promote pay equity. And this is a really interesting point too. So black employees historically have been discriminated against because when when it comes to pay and growth opportunity, it is likely that the local market pay is lower than a comparable city to a large white population. Now, I think that's probably more of an American specific example. But again, it's true. It's Mm. true. Like if you are from, I don't know, somewhere like Detroit versus New York, it's very hard to move to somewhere like New York and access that kind of level of salary. Therefore, you, your your city, Detroit, will remain depressed. So, some really interesting stuff being driven a lot by inclusion. You said there were some problems. What were you What were you thinking at the time? Uh, I think my point when I say that is, will I guess it opens up the door, doesn't it? So it opens up the door on location of roles. So, for instance, like this week we've had a role and it's largely remote they don't really mind where they work from yeah but then people in that area does it matter then where am i going with this um so but then people sure if if things go that way people who have moved to london for instance to get like a more expensive job well that was they'll be like what's the point i can work from anywhere then i'll go back and then i'll pay less for a house less for this less for that that's what people are doing isn't it yeah so i feel like if everyone does that will, will there be Will all it will all job prices, job prices, job pays all even out, or will they, or there'll still be a demand in the cities? Well, the way know? that I look at it, right, is that my mum and dad live in this village called Slaley in Northumberland, right? Um, it's a small village in the middle of the countryside in an area that that part of Northumberland isn't necessarily depressed, but it's certainly not London, right? Mm-hmm. And there's one guy in that village who has lived there for a lot of, for a lot of years as a financial director of a firm in the south but way before the pandemic and everything else he was able to travel down there for just one day a week and then work the rest of the time from home and he was then always in the village shop the community pub you know spending the money that he was earning in a in a high salary in in that local enterprise and therefore keeping them going perhaps when other people might not have had that spending power. Now, gentrification is an issue, but that's typically when you get something like what's happened in San Francisco, where you get lots of people coming into an area with high salaries and all house prices come up and people who were there previously get priced out and you end up with homeless problems, et cetera, et cetera. But if you've got one or two people dotted around local communities and villages in depressed areas, that money's just going to enter the I, all I can see is that money entering the local 
kind of system and bringing everybody up and, and helping local infrastructure rather than pricing people out in quite the same way. Yeah, and I, I was actually reading some of your comments as well on, on your LinkedIn post. It's quite interesting, wasn't it? It's a little bit of a debate going on. <laughs> people look, I mean, it's an interesting one because there are there are some problems, right? I, mean, I suppose from, I was talking to someone the other week who, who kind of described this thing as kind of a bit of a Wild West scenario. Like if you've got a whole lot of people who are employed in London and then you imply someone in Wales during the pandemic and then the pandemic comes to an end, are the people in London going to feel somehow hard done by compared to the person in Wales and that and person might not need to come into the office but maybe the people in London will be asked to come into the office and then therefore if they're being asked to come into an office physically should they get more money yeah exactly it's just I think there'll be a lot of debates like that or if people in Wales start getting paid more then people in London will be like well they're getting paid that in Wales because that's just always the way it's been right but London, London has sucked up salary and wealth for far too long to the detriment True. of other parts of the country. Yeah, Why does London yeah. have a right to? Look, this is I'm, I. I live and work in London. I'm looking to buy a house at the minute, but I will remain in the southeast. So I say this, you know, from a position of someone who is in the southeast, but yeah. it doesn't have a right to the wealth of the country over other areas. Yeah, no, I know. And I think that that's, I, I do find it quite, quite mad. Uh, is it because of the travel costs it takes to go into London? I think that you're the minority if you are lucky to be like in, in your family, friends point of view. Um, well, it was the minority that got that kind of, um, kind of, that kind of privilege to be paid London prices and work away. But I just feel like that is now going to start becoming the norm. And when it does, more and more roles now we're seeing that are completely remote going to the office two times a month people will travel for that wouldn't they yeah yeah, yeah absolutely I, I suppose it's 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 how a company adopts its policy moving forward you know when we talk about hybrid working environments is it digital first are you going to turn around to someone and say no we, we expect you to be in the office two three days a week but you can work the rest of the time from home well if you expect them to be there two or three days a week they realistically are still tied to an area geographically. And then, yeah, you're, you're kind of going, all right, well, I've got to pay to be here. But then you go and hire another person in another part of the country and they don't have that same... Should they be getting paid the same amount? My personal view is that it shouldn't come down to location. It should come down to purely the skill set that you're delivering to the organisation. But it, it, is, it is tricky. Companies could get themselves in difficult circumstances. However, with Spotify making this move, it puts pressure on everybody else it puts pressure on facebook it puts pressure on twitter companies who've said no we will pay attention to geography now are going to be competing for talent with organizations who can pay people more than they can and that yeah. might force their hand to change policy yeah definitely i think it, the bottom line is you should pay for skill not for area not for gender not for ethnicity all these things it should just be based on your experience skill set yeah i know that it's been like that for such a long time before like with location and everything like that but it just it just shouldn't be it's, everyone should have an equal have equal opportunities at the end of the day hey thank you for joining me on today's show very kind <laughs> You're <welcome>. as ever <laughs> uh we'll be back later on in the week uh but until then have a good week everybody
you're the 